And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by the great Noam Bloom, first-time guest. Uh, and uh, We had a great time. It's a great time talking to Noam. He's a real smart guy, interesting guy. Uh, and we, we covered a lot. We talked about the outrageous outrage uh, around Simone Biles withdrawing from uh, the Olympics. We talked about the CDC uh, trying to mandate masks again. We talked about the uh, Jeff Bezos... Uh, Richard Branson Space Race uh, and a bunch of other stuff I think you guys will enjoy it uh, before we get to know him guys please if you haven't already follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod please subscribe on iTunes SoundCloud Google Play Spotify wherever you get your podcasts make sure to subscribe and if you are on iTunes please take uh, literally five seconds to give us a five star rating and a good review that would really help us out uh, and if you like the show and want to get involved you can support us monthly over on Patreon patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast alright without further ado the great Noam Bloom <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with Noam Bloom. Noam, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. Hey, man, how's it going? It's going good. You know, I've been doing this podcast for almost five years, and I have no idea why I haven't reached out until now. Seems like you probably should have been on this podcast several times by now. I guess. And back back before I was uh, I was uh, known for my own name and, and face, I would I would go on some podcasts, and it would be kind of weird. Uh, there was one I used to do where, and it was, you know, like with video. So it was like a, you know, almost like a group where you saw everybody's cam and like just me was just like this weird <laughs> anime picture and it was this <laughs> we- weird uh, anomaly in the landscape. Why did you why did you drop the the pseudonym? Did you no, get I was, outed uh, or what? I did not, I did get outed, yes, and ah. it was a it was sort of an unfortunate incident. I mean, I was kind of tr- I was kind of slowly inching towards it. I was trying to find the right way to do it. Uh, and so and and I was already in a position where it didn't put me at some kind of like professional or, or personal risk. I actually was responsible enough to at some point realize that it was in my sort of interest to go to my employer, for instance, and sit them down and say like, hey, this is a thing I do on Twitter and I just want you to be aware because I don't want you get getting dragged into any kind of, uh, you know, bullshit that, that I'm put through because – because people on the internet are nuts, right? You don't yes. know, you never know whether some kind of reaction to something you say or do is going to be in any way proportional to that thing. Um, and to my sort of you know, like, I I was fortunate enough to to kind of to be able to work that with with places I worked at even before I was me. Um, it was just a matter of not being sort of mentally and also kind of prepared in like a life sense. I was not, I was kind of exposed and yeah, a couple of really bad things happened to me after that on the personal level, but also good things. So, you know, there's, you take the bad with the good, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. I, I didn't know why you, uh, you ended up using your, your real name, but that's, that's nuts. You know, you almost have to respect a guy like, uh, like smug, comfortably smug. Who's like kept it up for just years. He has his own I mean, podcast kind of, now under a pseudonym. <laughs> yeah, although, although I mean, yes and no. It's funny, you see, because this is why the Internet's funny. Uh, his name has been out there for years, 
and is very easily Googleable. And actually, a lot of people who hate him online will just call him by his name um, because of he he's one of the very first like he's one of the first like intern anonymous Internet people that caused a big controversy that I remember ever. Um, he got in trouble during Hurricane Sandy unfairly, I thought. Really? Because he tweeted something that was like very, very untrue about something that was happening in Manhattan, like as a joke, I think. And like news just ran with it, like CNN ran with it and it turned into a big scandal. And he was somehow involved with a, a political campaign at the time that he had to leave. Um, and how, I lost how a did friend. I not know this? I wow. lost a friend over that story. This was this was 2009. Like I wasn't even really on Twitter. I just joined Twitter, I think. And yeah, I had a friendship that fell apart over that incident. Someone stopped speaking to me. You got into a fight and he said, oh, this guy has to go to jail. And I said, it's up to the news organizations to verify the veracity of what they report. They can't just see something on Twitter and go like, oh, this is happening. And this guy got really mad at me for thinking that and stopped speaking to me. <laughs> you lost, so smug, you lost smug a friend cost me friends before I even knew him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Twitter. Yeah, 2009. I think I when did I join Twitter? I want to say 2010. Not really. My first tweet, I mean, it's not around anymore because I like I decided at some point that who like who who decided that the rules of the Internet are that everything you've ever said should be up there. It's not even a matter of because it used to be this mark of shame. Right. Oh, you're deleting all your old tweets. And yeah, people do do that in order to avoid sort of accountability for things they used to say, mostly either very problematic things or just things that kind of don't align with where they are now. Um, and for me, a lot of it was just like I was a different person. Twitter was a different place. Like I, I do many different things now online than I used to back then. And and what used to happen over the years was like, you know, you just went to another website, right? Like as a teenager, I was on a certain message board. And as my interests and my, you know, and I kind of grew up, I just went to a different website. But now you're on the same website for 15 right. years, right? As you change. Um, but my first, this was just a long winded way of saying my first tweet was about Obama's inauguration. I joined Twitter on the day Obama was inaugurated in 2009. Um, and so that's how long I've been on Twitter. I'm sure it feels longer. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely, especially during, uh, several, uh, like, times that were very stressful you know for me right. it's like co conflicts that israel gets involved in are often like incredibly stressful online times for me also because i'm worried right because i have family right. there and stuff but also the pandemic was a, a really a really tough time because e everyone was even more terminally online than regular because all they were doing was sitting at home and afraid and angry uh and just lashing out at each other yeah no, that's you know I've I've kicked around the idea of I know you can get those programs that'll like self-destruct your tweets after two months or six months or mm -hmm. whatever and like that seems like a really good idea it's just that I and I, I probably should because I'm sure I've tweeted some awful stuff but like I actually like seeing all the ways that I've changed on certain issues over the years I mean I've changed wildly on a lot of like important issues over over the years you know like yeah and it's yeah. Fun. it used to be fun like that was it took me a while to commit to doing that for that reason <clears throat> it was fun to go see what I said about something in like 2010 when nobody cared about Twitter at all but then also uh sort of like I said, I, things that I felt were kind of unfair to me were kind of digged up. It, it, nobody ever really managed to like 
oh, quote unquote own me with an old tweet. It's actually harder than it seems. People right. think they do. They make a good effort at it, but it's actually not. Uh, but some things that I I tweeted were, were well, kind of blown up. And, it's hard to do that if you're a reasonable person who can admit that you've changed your mind. You know what I mean? Like some yeah, people, yeah. They, they, but feel also, like they, they don't want to look weak by saying, oh, yeah, I change, I have a different opinion now. Like they, they view right. that as weakness for some reason when, of course, it, it isn't. Right. But like for I'll tell you, like for my first, I don't know, six years on Twitter, I had like fewer than a thousand followers. Right. I joined Twitter as part of like the Opie and Anthony community, which like was like a, a edgy, right, dark, right. disgusting humor kind of community. Um, and uh, and so even points I made that I still agree with today were made in ways that kind of make me cringe now, not to mention that I was in a really dark place in my life during those years, too. Um, I had a very tough like first, uh, I don't know, five years out of college here were really difficult for me. And yeah, it, it was reflected in my online persona. I would lash out. I would, I would weigh more than today. Just tell people to fuck off all the time. Like that right. was my, you know, like my quote tweets were always just fuck you. Right. <laughs> uh, and I think I, I've kind of evolved beyond that. I think. Or, or you've learned how to articulate it in a, in a better way, even if, yeah, the, well, the, and the also again, the same. An online speech has shifted. It's a thing that that people kind of refuse to acknowledge now to 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 like absurd degrees to the degree that like they'll find somebody's tweet from 2011 when they were in high school and act as though something that someone of that age would have said online at that time somehow had the same acceptability standards as now. Again, I'll go back to Opie and Anthony and things that they did on the radio, not satellite radio. FCC regulated regular open airwaves radio in New York, the things that went on in there and not like we're not talking about 40 years ago, right? We're talking about 2010, 2011 or and and you could go back. I mean, sort of the 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 era of theirs that I kind of listened to a lot started like in 2006. And yeah, like the stuff that went on there is way beyond any level of acceptability now. Right. And is included, it, by the way, like comedians who changed their tune a lot. Amy, Sh the stuff Amy Schumer used to say about oh, yeah. on Opie and Anthony about herself, oh, yeah. that she then like tried to retcon as being a Republican character. Uh, it was it, like amazing, right? And so, and to, and yet, people act like somebody deserves consequences today for some something they said when the atmosphere was so different. Oh man, oh yeah. I mean, the, the maybe the funniest example of uh, a comic. You know, changing their tune has got to be the Anthony Jeselnik thing when he went after the Legion of Skanks guys. Oh, for, I did not. Was that recently? Yeah, yeah. He went after Big J and Lewis and, and Dave Smith for being offensive or racist or whatever. You know, it's like Anthony Jeselnik, bro. That's like, strange. Kidding? That is you strange. I got to look. Yeah, I got to like look his, into that because his because his and it was, it was, he was the he was the offensive guy. Like that was his shtick was like trying to be. Like in a run and gun battle to be the most offensive comic. For, I mean, not like, even, the, not even, not even in the past tense. Like his shtick yes. is to to kind of and and by the way, and I fully agree with the idea that um, sort of dark humor can be a good way to c cope with the awfulness of something. It kind of it almost like uh, softens the blow of it, the mental blow of it, of by being able to chuckle. I mean, that's why I don't know. Like, have you ever been to a wake? Like people laugh at wakes. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. like I went to a shiva recently, which is, you know, like the Jewish equivalent of a wake. And like all we did there was like 
shoot the shit and have a nice time. And it was not considered like inappropriate. It was on the contrary. Like the idea is you kind of, you kind of like strengthen each other by trying to be positive about things. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a little different, you know, telling like a, a kind of a off an awful joke, but yeah, his, his, one of his specials has a whole segment where he talks about this, where he doesn't like being told what he can and can't say. And that the only reason that he censored himself one time was that the network threatened to fire his entire staff, you know, cancel his show and fire his entire staff. Right. Yeah, um, the, the comics against comedy thing in the last two or three years has been fascinating to watch. And you, you're absolutely right about Amy Schumer, too. Like, that's maybe <laughs> she might be the best example of just, my goodness, taking a hard left turn. I, I yeah, guess we, should, and we should probably get into some, some current events. Because there's a whole yeah, bunch you know, I think I, I actually think because we were we were actually like almost everything we said we we would probably like touch on today, kind of circles back to this idea of yeah. like oh yeah, a people being extremely angry at each other on the internet, whereas you know like it's not <laughs> it, it's not indicative of like the severity of disagreements outside of this trench warfare. Yeah, and it, it's it's funny. The first thing I want to mention, and like I, I guess my only point here is that I don't have an opinion. Which used to be okay. <laughs> I guess it's not it's not anymore. But like I just want to start by saying I have no opinion, absolutely no opinion on a gymnast choosing not to compete at the Olympics. Like people can do whatever they want. Athletes don't know anyone anything. Not sure why this is a minority opinion, at least on Twitter. But like everybody, like you said, they, they have a, a very strong opinion about this, one way or the other for some reason. I mean I, I have to assume Maybe these folks have solved every other problem in the world and have nothing else left to talk about. I, I think it, it, it also has to do with the fact that people are already primed. That's the, the problem is, you know, like everybody's so primed to argue about participation trophies and how kids are preached to be weak and stuff like that. And so something like this happen and uh, happens and you're like, oh, this proves my this proves my uh my preconceived notions about how this stuff works without maybe like a paying attention to the circumstances of a specific case and be like asking yourself whether or not this matters, like yeah. you said, because ultimately at the end of the day, uh, none of us have anything invested in this, right? Yeah, sure. It's fun. And she's the best ever. And watching her compete is a joy. And it's really disappointing that she didn't, I mean, for her and for the team and for everyone, but ang anger, <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean, again, I was mad. I was uh, the, the 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 only thing I think I felt like mad about was how quickly her coaches like ran to the media and were like, oh, it's not physical. It's that's a mental thing. I was like, really, is that is that the best way to, to handle this is to go be like, oh, don't because I, I mean, see, I'm, I'm conflicted on this because yeah. I have very strong opinions on like. Uh, mental health and the importance of mental health. And I don't like the idea that a mental problem is somehow less real than like spraining your ankle. Right? right. I think in a way, especially since you're asking her to go out there and do three flips with three twists in the air, you know, where she can fall on her neck and like end up a, a quadriplegic, you know, and she feels like, Oh no, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm in the right mind to go do that right now. I think what happened was she, in one of her practice, vaults she kind of landed poorly and she felt like oh crap like i i'm told like i'm totally out of this now and i'm afraid this will happen again uh, to, to to not to compare myself to <laughs> the greatest gymnast ever <laughs> but i don't know if this has ever happened to you but like 
I remember when I was a kid once, I learned somebody taught me how to dive backwards into a pool, right? Where you stand with your back to the pool and you like jump and kind of arch your back and you dive into the water backwards, right? And so I was taught to do this and I did it a million times and then one time, I did it and I kind of swam back around and like smacked my head against the side of the pool and I was too scared to do it ever again. Even though I did it a million times before that and it was super easy, one time I screwed up and I never had the guts to do it again. And so in a it's a like it's a weird analogy, but it just means that like even though you're like a super pro, in the moment you can be like I don't I don't think I could do this right now. And I, I don't know that being angry that their decision was that is smart. Like, or like, in, it's like, it's misplaced anger, I'd say. Yeah, like your response to everything can't be anger. Like, that, that's not, like, it's not an appropriate reaction to everything, you know? And like, when it comes to mental health, like, I, I've, I, I don't, like, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about, but I try to be as open as I can on this podcast about my own mental health stuff. I've been struggling with, with an anxiety disorder since I was a, a child. Since I was mm-hmm. 11 years old, and I mean, I, I, I tweeted this yesterday. I, uh, and I, I, I hate admitting stuff like this, but last Wednesday I canceled this podcast last Wednesday uh, because I had a panic attack and I just couldn't do it. Something else happened, just personally, um, and it triggered a panic attack. I, I was in rough shape all morning, and I, I tried to pull it together, and I'm like, no, can't do it. Like I would have right. and, like, and, 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 and hit here's, record and, here's and just thing. rambled. You and know what that I mean? I wouldn't no, have made again, any sense. Yeah. And that is no less real of a of a problem than, let's say, you had a sore throat and you were like, yeah, maybe I can kind of power through it, but I'm going to sound like crap. It's going to hurt my throat to speak for a long time with a sore throat. Like, there, that is, it's no less real than that. Oh, no. Phys- um, I'd much rather have a physical injury. I mean, I've, I've, I'm a singer and guitar player in a rock and roll band. I've hurt myself on stage dozens of times. I fell from eight feet up off a drum riser onto my head. And, you know, I, I didn't get knocked out or anything, but I was in pretty rough shape, finished the set. I've broken bones. You know, I pulled a hamstring and couldn't move. <laughs> like, there you the go. And, show. And so, like, I'd much rather deal with physical stuff than, than, than mental health stuff any day right. of the week. Right. And by the way, like I actually ended up having more nuanced discussions about this yesterday after feeling like it was this war between the people who were like, you know, screw her for doing this and the people who were like, this is really brave and amazing. And actually someone who said to me, uh, he, he said like, look, I'm not like being mad at her is dumb, but I don't think it's unreasonable to be disappointed. And he was like, what if, you know, like what if, you know, if Michael Jordan had like quit the dream team in the Olympics, then people would have been disappointed and right. felt like, oh man, he bowed out or whatever. And I, I, again, I think that's fine. I think it's fine to say like, oh man, this sucks. And you know, but that was to me the only reaction. The only reaction was like, ah, oh, this is a shame. And not to be mad. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like, it, it's it's just difficult. Like, mad, I would be mad if she had like gone, whatever, mad. But, you know, like if she had like gone out partying or whatever, if she had done what Aaron Boone did that right, got right, him right, like right. off the Yankees, like yeah. she, she did a pickup game when she was not supposed to and like broke her ankle and couldn't right, do right. it. Like that would have been more like, like it'll make you more angry. Um, and also by the way, because this is such like a culture war thing and people are trying to draw examples, everyone was like, Michael Jordan didn't do this, except that he did, he did quit basketball over mental issues. And people mentioned Carrie Strug, who famously did a gold metal vault with a ankle that was like broken or whatever. 
but and this is like considered like a heroic performance and blah, and they always show it in the you know those videos about like athletes persevering. Meanwhile, if you watch the Larry Nasser documentary, it turns out like her coaches were these a uh, couple, this like ex so like Soviet dissident yeah. um, couple who were these heartless sadists who did not care. Like, and, and, and basically said to her, like, no, look, you gotta, you gotta go out there. I know your ankle's broken, but like, this is not an option. And just another, and so, another thing too, man, like the thing is, I, I just read an article this morning about the rate, the TV ratings in the United States for the Olympics this year. Nobody's watching the Olympics. <laughs> and it's like nobody. And like, I'm not saying that's good or bad. Like I don't have cable, so I don't, I don't watch, I, I haven't watched the Olympics I mean, as an adult. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, all these people <laughs> being outraged, they weren't what they they weren't watching. I mean, I flipped I, I, I looked at uh, ESPN this morning and uh, they weren't ta- they were talking about the T-shirt that Aaron Rodgers was wearing when he reported to training camp. Like that was like the A block of mm-hmm. of like Mike Greenberg show. I like, wonder if, if it's, ESPN I wonder if it's doesn't COVID. even care about the Olympics. It's like all these people, I all these political wonder, commentators, they like, yeah, I they're legitimately... not even watching. I legitimately wonder if this is it's mostly covid because, I, you know, I remember that th- a lot of the stuff that is kind of memorable about when the Olympics happen, especially nowadays, is that because there's lots and lots of people there, there's lots of like content coming out for you. That's kind of on the sidelines. Oh, right. people are doing fun stuff in the streets of Rio because the Olympics are there and and whatever. And you don't have that. It's just. It's you know what it reminds me of. It actually reminds me of if you ever happen to watch like athletics or like um, uh, Olympic type sports, not at the Olympics when they're like, oh, it's the European Grand Prix of athletics. And like the stadium is like 80 percent empty. And it's just like the only people who care, like the people in those fields. It feels a lot like that. Like when I'll sometime just randomly see a decathlon take place somewhere in a big stadium where nobody's watching. And they're like, this is the world championship decathlon. Right. From a practical standpoint, I don't understand the Olympic programming. So like I was going to try to, I was like, Oh, I'm going to tune in to see the next U S men's basketball game. Uh, and I was like, I I put it in my calendar that it was Wednesday at some time. And then stupidly, I, I, assumed that that meant like you know wednesday evening the typical time for a basketball game but it already happened in the middle of the night last night because it was right. like evening in japan so i was like oh I, shoot, and i do wonder I about yeah, that i do i do wonder if if uh um like uh, an olympics that is cl- kind of more in our time zone would be easier although i don't know if that's happening anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> Which is or, again, that's that's it's difficult when it's weird. And I I never like the produced evening uh, Olympics broadcasts that are kind of edited down yeah, from yeah. like the day's events. It's fun to watch live. You know, I my biggest Olympics memory ever was as a kid. I spent the summer of '96 here in the states, and yeah, we sat around every day watching the '96 Olympics because they were in Atlanta and it was like the daytime. So yeah, just yeah. like. It was the summer. I was off school. So we'd like sit down at like, I don't know, 10 in the morning and watch diving or something like that because it was like happening at the same time. Yeah, I, I, it'll be awesome eventually when like one of the streaming services gets the rights to the Olympics and they'd be able to just televise everything. And you could just scroll through and like pick what you want to watch because there's a million things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And right. That, maybe that right. would give us the ability to watch like literally whatever we wanted instead of just like, oh, there's curling on TV. 
Watch some guy I'm, with a broom I'm, and a rock, and it's like I feel like sports and I feel like sports in general kind of lag behind what we're able to do now. I think the one sport that is, or there are a couple of sports actually that are that are more embracing this. One of them is like football, like the idea of red zone, for example. Right. To right. me, is really sort of innovative enough thinking about us with our like short attention span and also our desire for like access and like to see it, to get everything and see everything. The other interestingly is a sport I don't watch a lot, but at NASCAR, I think like the amount of access they give during a race, you see in the cars and out of the cars and you hear them talking and it's all this, like they really have a lot of, of cool stuff. And meanwhile, like baseball still uses the same camera angles they did in like 1975. Right. They don't show you picture in picture to show you what the defensive formation looks like. Like I, it's it's crazy. Like I, that's why I love going to a baseball game. It's because I can see the whole field in one time. But you know, baseball fans, man. Like if if they radically changed the the production of the game for TV, oh man. That, I mean, the boomers would riot. My dad. I think that mo- my dad I, yeah, would I mean, be pissed. You're right. I, but that's the thing. Like I would love the ability to like turn on a picture in picture. While I'm looking at the batter that shows me the reverse angle of the of the like of what the infield like the infield defensive arrangement or the the outfield like I I remember the first baseball game I went to like as an adult like after I moved here and ever and the thing that I remember seeing for the first time after years like I would watch 100 baseball games a year on TV and the first I remember the first time I'd ever seen when the pitch when the pitcher winds up for the pitch everybody in the infield goes into position at the the exact same moment right they're right. kind of standing around there and they go into this like prepared position all in sync and i remember seeing that and being like i've i watched tons of baseball and i've never seen that moment <laughs> and that's no, that... weird that's like a bad point to how it's being broadcast yeah and i'll tell you what with the the empty stadiums this past year obviously it's it's changing now but with covid that Football wasn't affected because you don't really see the crowd. They're they're far enough away from the field, so you don't really notice if you're watching on TV that there's nobody there. Basketball was rough because the fans are right on top of the court, and then baseball. It was like, and I, I love I'm a huge baseball fan, but it was like unwatchable, man. Yeah, with, I with couldn't. The, I the, couldn't. I was like, you can't like. There's no camera angle possible while broadcasting a baseball game that doesn't highlight the fact that there's nobody there. You know? yeah. It was like, oh, it was just gross to, to watch. Yeah, and the, and just the, like, and, and I, I like the crowd, the home crowd excitement when the home team does a thing. It's it's part of the experience. Oh, dude, the, the NBA Finals, man, and every game in uh, Phoenix where the, because Giannis takes forever to shoot free throws, how the, <laughs> the home crowd <laughs> would count, they would count to 10. As he's sitting there screwing around, like waiting to yeah. shoot free. Like, that was great, man. I love seeing mm. that stuff. There you go. Um, and so, yeah, oh, I think so. And, and so as we were saying, like everybody, every, everybody's angry and everybody has to have an opinion on everything, which, by the way, is one of the things that leads a lot of like pundit types to say dumb things. Because yeah. when you have to have a monologue about every topic of the day you're inevitably going to say a dumb thing it's just statistics right like nobody never says a dumb thing and especially if you're talking about a variety of topics not all of them you're like super knowledgeable on yeah uh, you know, it's unavoidable i i think you know just as like political comment as, as political commentary goes like maybe it's just the fact that i only do two shows a week you know but i i've never felt the need to comment on everything you know i guess if i had to do if I, you know, if I were like one of these talk radio guys doing three hours a day, you know, 15 hours of commentary a week, 
I guess you you kind of have to. You got to fill those hours. You got to talk about right. But the problem is then on. like then the big topic of the day is like the infrastructure bill, and you're like shit. I don't know anything <laughs> about infrastructure policy, and so but I'm st I'm still gonna have to talk about it for a, a good you know a hard fifteen between commercial breaks. Like that's really difficult. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I hear you. And you know, I guess for a lot of these guys, it's a lot more fun to talk about Simone Biles than than infrastructure and whatever. Joe Manchin said this, you know, this week, <laughs> you know, I, well, I, you know, it, I think that, and by the way, that might be the reason that people keep pulling topics back towards their comfort zone. Meaning here's another thing we were going to talk on, right? Uh, this is like a, a week ahead of, uh, after the fact, but, um, we just had this, like this whole space, uh, controversy, right? Because we had, uh, Richard Brands, both Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, where passengers aboard their respective like inaugural passenger flights to sp quote unquote space, the edge of space or space, whatever. Um, and again, there was a whole anger news cycle. And I think that because a lot of people don't really know a lot about space, they just used it to make a point about economics and wealth disparity and capitalism and uh, ju just because those are the only things they know anything about and feel right. like speaking about, and so they try to find that angle on it. Like, can't space be cool? <laughs> like, can't, can't be like, can't we just enjoy it? Like, can't we just have fun? But, it, like, my well, takes, and I, I, I'm excited to talk about that because I haven't been able to talk about the private right. space travel stuff yet. But, like, my, I only have three takes, and one, it's awesome. Two... Branson's cool Star Wars ship that looks like Obi-Wan's ship in the prequels is way cooler than the giant Amazon dick. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then third, it's just it's astounding that there's so much hatred. I mean, like that people on the left specifically, it's like, man, do these people just hate fun? Just hate it? Can't you just watch this and have fun? Be like, man, this is super cool that this guy built a spaceship and launched himself in outer space. Like, can't we just have fun with it for five seconds? Um, you know what? But and and on top of that, that's not even what happened. That's the crazy thing here. Richard Branson, uh, a couple of times, I believe, years ago, I don't know if it was once or more than once, tried to uh, go around the world in like a hot air balloon, right? This was like a big <laughs> thing because he was like an adventure. He's like an adventurer. Like, yeah, he, if I've you never go heard, back I've and you look like over this, the past the 30 years, he was going to go. He climbed Everest and he did this and that or whatever. And so he built this obnoxious, crazy ass balloon. It was a big thing, right? But that was, <laughs> this is not that. This was a proof of concept of a, like a technology that they were going to – in fact, I find it somewhat admirable that both of these guys were like, no, I'm going to be the first person aboard this crazy new thing that is extremely dangerous and untested. Now, I'm going to be on the first flight of that just because I have that much faith in my own technology. That – in fact, like I feel like if they hadn't done that. People would have gone like, look at these billionaires sending guinea pigs aboard their spaceships to see if they work. It's like, no, they were like, I'm going to risk myself. That's how much I'm like into this. In yeah, a I way, mean, it's admirable. It's it's kind of admirable. No, it is. It is. I mean, and they are putting themselves at some kind of risk as well. Um, I mean, like I, I me along with I'm sure I speak for a large percentage of the audience that we tuned into that because. Like, look, I'm a Christian. I'm not into like Greek mythology or anything, but it did seem like there were some parallels to who's the guy that that through his own hubris flew too close to the sun and died. Which one was? Yeah, that? I mean, Icarus, there is Icarus, right? I, there's de yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. I'm like, yes, man, yes. if the richest man on earth, due to his own hubris, kills himself in outer space, I'm like, oh man, that could totally happen. I could totally see that happening. Uh, thank I, God I mean, I, I, but. I, I, 
100 yeah i know that's that's a that's 100 percent true and yeah like when when you know when like daredevils like die doing a stunt or whatever oh, that's yeah. all many times people say that um but again in, in this case the idea is and and there is this weird notion that this is going to be forever this like the, the the like that the end game the end goal of this is to create a super wealthy uh like fun thing for the super wealthy and that's it right again they they speak about it in two ways they speak about it as though jeff bezos built a spaceship so he could fly himself to space and then he mothballed it and that was it that was the end of it he did it for his own fun and that was it anybody anybody talking like this it's like they don't understand the history of the automobile or the airplane I mean, it, so, was the, it, it was the same exact. I mean, it was, only the the super rich could afford a car. Only the super rich could afford to fly. And then right. within a couple decades, it was it had completely changed, and this will too. Yeah, and I, I was looking. I was just doing some fun googling about this, just for the the heck of it. And yeah, like it, the first commercial transatlantic flight from the United States to England uh, in 1939 cost ten times what that flight costs now. Right. Man. It was in the the equivalent neighborhood of like north of seven thousand dollars a ticket. Oof. And now you could fly to England for like seven hundred and even lower if you're like smart about finding a ticket or standby or flying on a low cost airline. My point on Twitter was to say that almost every like amazing new thing of technology starts out by being like a super rich luxury item. You know, the TV I own now 15 years ago, a 65-inch OLED TV, 15 years ago, it would have been something that only like really, really rich people could afford. In fact, someone I knew who was like a millionaire, t- you know, 10 years ago had ever had like a 90-inch TV. And that was to me like imaginary. I can afford a 90-inch TV now. I don't have room for it and I can't buy like the top of the line 90-inch TV, but I can certainly afford one. Oh, yeah. Um, and the reason for that, by the way, interesting, um, interesting tidbit. The reason large screen TVs become cheaper is because the the limiting factor is what they call mother glass, right? It's the glass of the monitors. And that is limited by how big the machines we have to make those sheets of glass. They got to be super thin and super even. It's this process, right? It's not just panes of glass like a window. Um, and the, as the fabricators for this get larger, it becomes more economical to split the sheets they make into large screen TV sizes. And so now, right now, the cheapest TVs to build are 65 and 77 inch TVs. Really? Um, because of the current generation of mother glass fabricators. I think it's like generation 10 and a half or something like that. This is, this is crazy inside, <laughs> inside tidbits. But I found it fascinating when I heard this, where the idea is like the sheets they make now, the most like cost effective way to like split them. It's just math, right? It's like a puzzle, right? You have a thing that's X by Y and you need to cut it into one of the standard sizes of TVs that exist, 55 inch, 65 inch or whatever. So there is a, an optimal way where you waste the least amount or waste none at all. If you can take that sheet and divide it into an, you know, a, an exact number of those. Um, but the, the point is, it all gets cheaper and it all gets more affordable. It has to, you have to start somewhere, right? Right. Like you said, aviation, like the Wright brothers, which by the way is like a great American story that really needs a, a big movie. When they like the whole, the reason it's an, a great How has American, that not been made into a movie. 
I'm not sure. And I when That's after I read so David bizarre. McCullough's after I read David McCullough's book about them, it was a, 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 an even way more exciting story than I knew because you know whatever. And but one of the big elements of it is that it was just these two dudes, right? And aviation at the time was exactly what space is now. It was like this thing where these super super rich people would do these big stunts and everybody would come watch them, and once in a while they would die <laughs> because like it was not it was not anywhere near what they did. Um, but, and again, it was this, it was this thing that rich people were like, the cock, this isn't for commoners. And a hundred years before that, it was trains that were right. like that, right. you know? And so, and, and yeah, and people will say something, stuff like, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, there's no use for it, right? Aviation is very useful. What is, how is space travel useful? First of all, you can actually travel, parabolically through space way quicker between two points on earth. That's how an ICBM works basically, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. It goes up and then like you actually, you can actually get much, if you can find like an economical way to get that high, you can fly very quickly. And also again, it all, it's all part of the same tech. It's all the idea of how we, uh, how can we cheaply and uh, in a reusable way get shit up to space, whether it's people or freight or I don't know what. I mean, that, look, it, man, it, the thing is, Bezos spent, what, it was like five and a half billion on this project? Right. That doesn't, I mean, that's a lot of money, <laughs> but... But it's uh, like over 20 years or something like that. Like, Blue yeah. Origin has been around since 2000, yeah. I believe. And, and But that, like, to build a functioning spacecraft privately and, and shoot yourself into outer space and come back and land safely... And, and this project that took, like you said, a couple decades, that that seems like a bargain to, to me. I mean, if you yeah, look at and, how much NASA used to spend and stuff like that, it's like, man, that's actually not. I mean, it's it's weird to say that five and a half billion isn't a lot of money, but that's not a lot of money if you're talking about what he actually accomplished. And there is, again, very little thought put into the implications of these things. For example, um, it, like I'll give an example, like all the people who are like, ah, capitalism, this is capitalism. And this is just billionaires doing a pissing contest. They forget that our original reason to go to space was way less wholesome than that. It was the idea of, we were in a, a, a war that could potentially have gone to space. And so we needed to beat our like big enemy to space so they wouldn't right. be able to nuke us from space. Right. That's that to me is like a way more, like I would much rather, our technological advancement come through rich oh, guys yeah. doing a pissing contest oh, than yeah. like superpowers trying to like destroy each other. I mean, most innovations, you know, world changing innovations have come out of war. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. It's death. like NASA, right? You know what? But Jeff Bezos didn't need Nazi engineers, Nazi, yes, which, Nazi Nazi, which NASA did need. You know, like there's, it's, it's, it. And by the way, here's another thing. You know, like how space is like, – because they say like, oh, climate change. This is as though space comes at the expense of climate change. Meanwhile, like space has been vital for like climate study. Cheap space flight means you'll be able to bring every climate scientist that wants to up to orbit so they can look at the planet from orbit. There's all kinds of like – to me, it's amazing that that – almost every complaint about space comes from someone who like you can flip that argument to something they would totally argue for if it wasn't these rich guys that that they're mad at because they don't pay enough taxes right and it's it's not it wasn't just the left too i mean obviously the left they hate billionaires and, and stuff like that but it's also kind of the you know the the new right nationalist types too were complaining about bezos spending all this money and oh why didn't he you know give it to charity and it's like 
I, I don't know. I mean, as a libertarian, I, I just I, I can't handle that argument. <laughs> like that argument. It's like the federal government. Our budget this year is it's like over five trillion dollars, and Biden wants another three and a half or four trillion on infrastructure. Who knows if that'll pass or not? So it's like the federal government this year may spend nine trillion dollars. And all right, so what's that? Let me do some quick math. That's seven hundred fifty billion dollars a month. What what's seven hundred fifty billion divided by thirty? What does the government spend every day? Uh, uh twenty five billion dollars. <laughs> they spend they spend twenty five twenty five billion <laughs> billion dollars yeah. a day every day. Yeah, and that's money. That I think they that's took, exactly. I think you yeah. at gunpoint. I think that's the math. Okay. Right. I think that was <laughs> the like, math I got you because I said like if they take <laughs> if they take all of the money that Basil spent it on Blue Origin over twenty years and put it into a single fiscal year's six tax hours, pool, six it would hours. increase it by like point. Zero five of a percent or something like that. He could, you know, fund, like he could have funded the federal government for six hours. There, I mean, yeah, that's and 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 by the way, I don't like, you know, like these mega rich people or whatever. I'm not. This isn't like a defense of theirs. And I find plenty of things that the mega rich do way more objectionable than this. Like, I don't know, man. I feel like Davos, like everybody flying in private jets to Davos to have like these crazy meals and talk about climate change. I find that far more objectionable than Jeff Bezos. Again, testing a thing that he wants, you know, like a future technology on himself, you know, like it wasn't, that's the thing. Like his mega yacht is way more wasteful and stupid than him being one of the passengers on his inaugural blue origin flight. That's way more, Wasteful and pointless. At least there is a point to this, an right. ultimate point to this. Wasteful and pointless. I mean, the man bought the Washington Post. I mean, <laughs> if anybody, <laughs> if anybody works, you know, is comfortable being associated with the journalists at the Washington Post, I, I, I think that's pretty objectionable, right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I do, and and I do dislike the fact that they st- I, that they step off of their space rocket and say like, I was looking at the Earth, and we really need to go more green. Like I. <laughs> I do highly roll my yeah. eyes at that. Uh, although, again, I do think that if you talk about the long run, getting us into space, into space habitats, into moon colonies or Mars, or again, I'm, we're talking like pie in the sky stuff, will in the long run help the planet? Is oh, yeah. is a way to help the planet? Like, what do you think? What? How long do you think it'll take to establish a, a base on Mars? Twenty years? The, I, I mean, that's the. It, 15 it's, years? It, it, I think I mean, it's it, sooner it, than, than we think. It, it, it really depends. And it, it really depends how like un like how unfettered the, the research and the development is to it. Yeah. Um, be, because it, it's, it's very hard to predict because for example, what if the ship we launched are like explodes on the way that sets it back a decade, you know oh, at least, what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. there's all there's so many different things can happen. That it, it it becomes like almost impossible to 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 predict, um, but yeah, like I don't know. I, I just it it's just it's just kind of strange to me this weird kind of luddite aversion to it. This idea of like we should spend that money on 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 one intercity on one inner city school. Uh, the one. Bezos didn't have to drop. He just he shouldn't have said. It just wasn't a smart thing to say out loud. <laughs> he said the, the quiet part out loud. But he's like, it, I get why people reacted to it. He's like, well, I just want to thank all the Amazon customers for making this. Oh possible. yes, yes. And it's like, bro, 
bro, look, I'm with you. What you did was really cool. Don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah, that's not yeah. gonna. That's not gonna go over well. But like, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there is, a, there is a weird detachment. I mean, it's probably, it's probably a weird position to be in. I feel like it's probably hard to not become a weirdo when you're someone who's that, you know, like when there's, there's nobody who's on your level. Oh, like, yeah. like imagine you, you haven't nobody gone, you haven't being, gone to a grocery store in 30 years. You know what I mean? mean? Like you haven't haven't driven a car. But you know what? I will go even like way further than that. I mean like you're richer than countries. You know, it's not (laughs) – like because Hillary Clinton hasn't gone to the grocery store in 30 years either. I'm saying like when there is nobody on your level, when like the king of Saudi Arabia isn't as rich as you are. (laughs) Right. You, right. it's almost impossible to not be a little bit of a weirdo. I think that's why a lot of these like tech CEOs do weird shit. They go, they go to like sweat lodges and do, uh, <laughs> do these like vow of silence ashrams in India. They're weird. Yeah. If you watch, uh, if you watch, um, billions, billions kind of makes fun of that where it's these like cutthroat disgusting uh, hedge fund people who like do insider trading and just ruin other people and then go do a thing like that. Go like <laughs> cleanse their soul by doing peyote in the deserts. Yeah. You see J- Jack from uh, Twitter is, is kind of like that too. He'll fly around the world doing real weird stuff, but it's like, yeah, well, he, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm almost, it's unfortunate that I did the math to figure out how much the government spends a day. That's uh, much worse than I thought. <laughs> that's much, <laughs> it's much more depressing than I thought, but it's like these people, I just, I, I don't have the patience for these people getting on Jeff Bezos for this. I, it's like, man, you, you choose to have the Amazon app on your phone. You choose to order shit from Amazon. I, I mean, like if you get, if you want to get mad at somebody spending irrationally, get mad at the federal government. I mean, you give them their money because if you don't, they'll kidnap you and shoot your dog in the head for no reason. Okay. And you, also, and you again, willingly like give you said, your money to Jeff Bezos. And it is also totally acceptable to just to not be angry and vocally angry about it. To say like, eh, you know, these, this, he's, he's just a rich dummy and this seems pointless to me or whatever and not turn it into a point about how capitalism is bad. (laughs) Like, that's what I mean. Like, it's fine to just not like a thing that happened and just have it end with that. You can can just not like Jeff Bezos. I don't like totally fine. You know, it's like people who say, you know, when somebody dies, like a public figure, Oh, man. Yeah. And and so I'm not talking about the people who are happy. A thing that is almost equally irritating is the people who will like uh, who who don't like the person, but for some reason, like want to hedge their bets and will say, you know, uh, right. it's almost like those obituaries, yeah. which will kind of try to sound nice, but won't be nice. It's like you can also not, you know, there there have been deaths. There have been like deaths of public figures that I hate like hated with every bone in my body i just didn't say anything yeah you just don't say anything you don't need not even on everything. yeah and i you don't even need to say you know um r.i.p i you know i we didn't agree on anything but r.i.p like just don't it's fine it's you fine to not say a thing <laughs> i know man i know i just don't understand it's it's the entire culture has been influenced by twitter by the habits of people on Twitter, I feel like, and it, it, it's such a bizarre thing too, because that's what what's the percentage of American adults on Twitter? I think it's oh, only. Oh, that's like, a good question. I think like it was. 
I think it's less than 25%, I want to say. Oh, yeah, I think it's I think it's substantially less than 25%. Who actually um, use use Twitter, not like you have an account that you haven't used in Twitter. Right, like but, the, like the yeah. active users. And on top of that, like there's also um, like an even smaller group within that who are like uh, sort of politics focused. Yeah, I and I think I think it's something like 24, 25% of American adults are on Twitter, but most, I think it's like 90% of Twitter content comes from like 8%. Of the American, yeah. it's like a, a very small. It's like a third of the people on Twitter are actually creating all the content. Yeah. So it's like, and you said it's a very minuscule number of people. Right, and you said to me, I think, uh, I think you said it before we started that the sort of the the tone of Twitter discourse is kind of like talk radio, and I think that's really not only true, but like it's almost like it's almost like talk radio, but every caller gets to go on air. Yes. Like every <laughs> listener gets yes. to say their piece. Yeah. You know, like that's the, the at least the beauty of talk radio was it was like you got five callers in an hour and you could hang up on them for crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like now you got to listen to their entire thread. Everybody, everybody, every single person wants to weigh in. You have to listen to for some reason. Yeah, so exactly. I, we, we do have to talk about uh, the CDC um, who's changed their mind for the about the 17th, 18th time, something like that is now saying that everybody needs to wear a mask again, whether you've been vaccinated or not blue states are, are issuing mask mandates again um and here's the thing sorry to just go on a little rant but like these people learned this has nothing to do with the science has nothing to do with covid or saving lives or anything like that these people just learned that they can get away with anything i mean in the case of andrew cuomo literally get away with murder um <laughs> but I, I just think these people a lot of these people on the left are going to keep trying to push the limits just to see what they can get away with and i think let me know if you disagree I think the only way out of this is just mass non-compliance in these blue states. I, I just don't think they're ever going to stop until we make them stop. I, I really do believe that civil disobedience is the only answer. And and because we, we did the wrong thing. I mean, we made the worst mistake we could have made. That's complying with the demands of tyrants. And tyrants view compliance as weakness. Um, so if the if the public doesn't stop complying with these orders, we're, we're never going to get back. We're never going to get our freedoms back. I think we might see a, a more benign version of that. Instead of like mass noncompliance, it, it, it'll be slightly more like mass apathy, like mass not caring enough to do a thing. Do you know what I mean? I'll give an example. In Israel, there is a a, a, a body that is like a, like a, an, adv, a, an advisory body on, on sort of terrorism. And they will say, we have alerts of terrorism in Egypt. Uh, we recommend that people don't go to Egypt right now, right? We have indications that Israeli tourists in Egypt might be targeted during, pa like, pa for instance, like Passover vacation. Ironically, is when a lot of Israel uh, Israelis go to Egypt. <laughs> really? Which <laughs> is like that's, yes, like that's they go to bizarre. Sinai. So the Sinai Peninsula has crazy good beaches, and you can lie or lounge around in these like. Uh, beachside uh, cabanas and smoke hookah and it's 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 amazing like it's it's fantastic like it has some of the best snorkeling and scuba diving in the world it's just danger like it's just like you're apt to you know like it's kind of lawless it's the desert right. and the whatever and so but israelis love doing that it's also a good time of year it's like april it's not yet the height of heat so it's it's a good time but Many years, you know, like not every year, but almost every year, they will say, like, we have indications, don't go. And people go, even though Israelis are very sort of risk conscious when it comes to stuff like terrorism. 
you know, they'll they'll just go like the border will just be full of people just crossing over and saying like, yeah, we know it's dangerous, but we're, we'll, we'll be careful. We'll look around, you know, like stuff like that. And I think you might be seeing more of that, more like, yeah, there's guide, there's guidelines. I know, I know, whatever, you know, like my, my building after the DC mask mandate went away, sent a, an email saying like, we were asking people to still stay masked. And I sent my, 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 my building manager, like a really polite email. And I said, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. In, like in a polite way. And she actually felt bad. She said, like, I'm in a weird position because, like, people want to still feel safe. And I and she said, I was just asking. I wasn't saying you were forced to. But she she actually, like, to my surprise, she actually kind of was apologetic to me. Gotcha. And I didn't mean it like that. I was just going to say, I, I, I even said to her, like, I'm not trying to be confrontational. I just, I, in, on, on the contrary, I don't want you to feel like I'm, like, being combative. I just wanted to tell you that, yeah, I'm vaccinated and, like, there is no mask mandate and whatever, but it's probably going to come back now. And I and, and the, the reason I will do it if my building reinstates it is mostly because I want to be like neighborly. Like I don't want I like my neighbors and I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. And yes, doing it in the hallway between my door and the, and the main exit is not going to kill me. Um, it, it, but again, there is an increasing frustration and yeah, people say to me, oh, you're losing your mind over a mask. It's not so much that it's the idea of the things that you're asked have to have some kind of underlying logic. And in my mind, when nobody was vaccinated and this thing was still running fairly rampant and there were lots of infections and stuff. And, and so I didn't like, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to wear a mask because like, I don't know for sure what the exact mitigation data is on it, but like, I want to try to stay more careful when they're doing it now. It is far more disconnected from what you're seeing like in the real world. And so the fact that it's not a big hassle is kind of irrelevant. Like it doesn't really matter. It's like it, it kind of reminds me of people who say like, well, if you're not doing anything illegal, what do you care if the cops search your apartment? They're not going to find anything like who cares? Right. Oof. No, <laughs> yeah. it is important. Yeah. It is important. It doesn't matter even if they don't yeah. find anything like it's not that doesn't mean anything like the disrupt the amount that it dis, that's by the way. Oh, you know what? This actually ties back into Bezos. Because, you know, people get mad, you know, if Bezos will say, like, I'm giving a hundred million dollars to charity and people say, well, it's only this this percentage of his net worth. Right. It, it, it's kind of it, it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same thing where you're. Sorry, I, I, I like I totally lost my train of thought. I was trying to make a, a good point and I oh, totally, dude, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how you're getting back to Bezos. My brain, my <laughs> brain just totally shut off midpoint. Man, I was looking forward to hearing the uh, connection between the masks and Bezos. Hold on, I'm going to it on. was we're going to uh, get we're, we're going to get back there, man. We're going to we're going to I know, I know, hold on. You can cut all this out. You can cut all me trying to <laughs> Oh, no way. No way. This is the best part. No, you're going <laughs> to Um it was um <sighs> Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Well, when you're thinking of that, I just I think just do it. It's just my disposition towards the world. I I just I I I just see the actions of of government bureaucrats as much more sinister than you do. I think. I just think. Well, no, I, no. I you know what? I was I, I, in in fact, I actually somebody said something today. I'm I'm unfortunately they didn't say it publicly, so I can't credit them, and I'm I'm just going to steal their point about how. Um, 
the the problem is I think he said like I don't think the I think the Biden administration wants a uh, like a uh, an optics victory against COVID and actually when they inherited like you know like when when Biden came to power contrary to what they were arguing during the election things were humming along pretty nicely right vaccines were like super on the rise and cases were falling and now they have this opportunity to like re like relock down and re put in masks and then go like ah we defeated the actually we defeated the delta variant and we're the ones who ended the pandemic it wasn't the so like it's, it's almost like they manufactured one, this like one last hurdle that they can then turn around and say we this is was our victory well real quick did you see that uh what's that comic? He's a New York comic who does the con- the conservative guy who does this really Ryan funny Long. Video. Ryan Long. <laughs> did, you, did you see this one from a couple months ago? The one last lockdown. That's that's exactly Dude. it. That was what my friend was referencing. Like he was saying that's 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 essentially that's essentially what what it is, right? Yeah. This idea of like one one more thing that they can then turn around. It's like my, my one of my uh, commanding officers in the military would say something would say to us something like I was going to punish you but I didn't cuz I'm a good guy, right? Like and so he gets a reward for not doing a hypothetical thing he said he was going <laughs> to do. And so they're creating this like they're inventing a, a huge crisis over something that isn't does not in any way seem to be a huge crisis so that they can then turn around and say, look how we manage this huge crisis. I think it's one of two things. And either you're right about that. They are creating this crisis so they can, quote unquote, solve it later. Or and I, it's either that or that the Democrats are going to and this sounds ridiculous, but they, they may just try to drag this out until the midterms next year. And I know that, it, you know, mo- most people are like, oh, that's impossible. But I don't know, man. It's already been a year and a half. I mean, it's been a year and a half of this. And I don't know. There might be some some Democratic members of Congress and, and, and people within the White House that are thinking, well, what's another 15 months? You know, we, they, we can freak out about another variant and then another variant. I mean, they, they used COVID to take the White House and, and, and the Senate last year. They A lot of these folks might just think that's their golden gun, man. They might think if they can keep their base scared and in masks and they can demonize Republicans for not getting vaccinated or whatever. I don't know, man. When when the government learns something, that's dangerous. Like when when when, when the state learns that they can get away with something, man, I mean, they, they learned they could use a virus to win the White House. I mean, that's a that's a dangerous lesson for these people to learn. And, and I don't know. I, I you're probably right, and I'm probably wrong. At least I hope so. I, that's the thing. Being a libertarian, I, I always root for myself to be wrong. Like, I, I don't want my predictions to be correct. It's just, unfortunately, in the last year and a half or so, I've been correct a lot a lot more often than I, than I usually am. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it, it, it's unfortunate, but I think that some narrative-breaking things are going to get in the way of that, uh, especially— the the signs that a lot of like um, unions are not cool with the idea of vaccine mandates, unions that are by no means conform to the stereotypical MAGA anti-vaxxer that were that were being sold is the main obstacle. You know, like all of a sudden the CDC is like, well, DC needs DC is bad enough to need a mask mandate, and I'm thinking, who are these large scale MAGA anti-vaxxer populations in the District of Columbia. 
the makeup, I don't know, 50, you know, 45, 44 percent of the people in D.C. who are unvaccinated. And so eventually um, a lot of this data and a lot of this anger from from unexpected on quote unquote unexpected directions uh, for these like vaccine mandates and continued school closures and stuff. It might be hard. It might be you're right that they're there, you know, that some people might have the intent of like keeping this crisis alive, not even for like not even for like evil genius, but like the idea of like this feeling like this political crisis is is better for them, makes them look better and would not mind for it to be present in everybody's brains a year from now when the when the midterms come up. Um yeah, I just you know what? I think the difference between us is that I just do not believe in the ability of people in government to 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 be that sort of well planning, you know, to 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 to, right. to to conceive and execute long games like this. I just don't I do not trust anybody to be that effective. But again, the idea that the crisis staying alive would be beneficial to them is is certainly possible. And um, and I'm also very worried now that if the Delta variant does what it seems to be doing in England, which is uh, burning itself out very quickly, like a a, a, a steep but short spike, a sh a small and short, um, uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna reverse their their mask guidance again because they're afraid of being criticized for flip flopping again. And they're always way more willing to jump into masking than out of it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I don't know, like, and I feel like today I was starting to get the feeling that they're almost preparing to start blaming the vaccinated people for the ongoing thing. Cause if, you know, if you're resistant to masking, cause you're like, I'm vaccinated, I'm not in danger. Now you open yourself up to being blamed for the pandemic continuing. Cause look, you're still helping spread it, even though you're vaccinated, there's right. this weird thing where I feel like they're there's like this low key coddling of the people who are remaining unvaccinated, especially people again like minority communities. For instance, I was seeing a graph that like, for example, like Black Americans are are uh, vaccinated at much lower rates than Asians and and people who are white. Um, and I, I and it's politically inconvenient to call this out and say minority communities are not vaccinating, and so instead there it feels like they're being kind of low key coddled, like by getting everyone else to remain super cautious to protect them, um, which is strange. Yeah. Well, I did a Twitter thread about this last week. A lot of people, especially in, in D.C., in media types, they don't understand. They can't wrap their heads around why a lot of black Americans aren't getting vaccinated. And. I mean, it's easy to be confused by that if you don't know any black people. <laughs> yeah. If you, just, if you don't know any black I mean, I, I, I'm born and raised in Toledo, Ohio. It's that my town is half white, half black. You know, I went to primarily black schools for a long time. It's like, and, and the majority, not, not, I mean, there's millions and millions of, of black conservatives, of course. Um, but people don't, what people don't understand about white liberals versus black liberals is that, and it literally, it's just these media types don't understand this because they don't have any black friends. <laughs> but it's like white liberals, they want free crap from the government. and But they also love and trust government. 
Like they they love government. They're invest. They love government. Black liberals maybe they want the free crap just like the white liberals, but they don't trust government. They're they're very distrustful of government. They're also being told by the white liberals to not yes. trust the government. Like if you're yes. being fed this yes. narrative that the government yes. is systemically racist yes. and white supremacist, and that you know like. I wouldn't – that's – I mean that's exactly right. And so the, – and then being told like, oh, no, you should line up to get this thing in your arm from the government that we just told <laughs> yes. you wants you all dead. Yeah. Like it's yeah, – I mean you're you're absolutely right and you're and, – and there are – again, it's another thing that's happening that's flying in the face of narratives is that I believe that they said that Republicans made gains with all groups except white men in this election. Like right. there were upticks in every demographic except white guys. Um and and again, the, the the Twitter sphere will look at this and and not understand where it's coming from. There's a, a you know there was like a joke uh, when Nixon became president. There was this joke about how liberals walked around and saying, "I don't understand how we won. I don't know anybody who voted for Nixon." Right. And so that I mean, that's exactly that's exactly the same thing you were saying. Like it's this idea of like, oh my god, I'm so shocked by this because my life experience is so narrow. Such a bizarre admission, and they they still don't they they don't realize what they're what they're saying. They don't realize the self own. And you know it is there is some some white pill stuff with uh with with all the CDC nonsense, the mass stuff. I mean, like my governor Mike Dewine, who has been awful. I mean, throughout this he has been an absolute disaster through this whole process, destroying tens of thousands of businesses, ruining just hundreds of thousands of lives all across Ohio. Just an absolute monster and a tyrant. Maybe he even said. Um, he's not bringing back the mass mandate because he wants to get reelected next year. <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is how it's done. I mean, you, at the end of the day, the voters still can scare these people. You get, I mean, maybe not Cuomo, maybe not Newsom. They're protected. You know, any any cup of coffee with a D next to their name can win reelection in some parts of the country. But like in in swing states like Ohio, you can still scare these monsters. He he doesn't want to get primaried um, from his right, and and so he's not going to bring back, you know, you know that little guy, he, he wants to bring back the mass mandates, he enjoyed it quite a bit, um, but he can't, he can't, because he's too scared to get voted out, and so, you know, there's a little white pill moment in there, I think. We'll see, I mean, I, I, there are, it's, it's a a lot of, like, a lot of the raised eyebrows I saw yesterday were from sort of unexpected sources. I did notice Um, that, yeah. And, uh, and, and a lot of it is the flip-flop, Meaning like even if even people who say like, yeah, I do. I think that maybe the mass guidelines right now are good. But this the way that you're doing this is like you're it's wrecking everything. It's it's just it's crazy Uh, and and disappointing and dispiriting. Uh, And again, not that these are like there are problems that people suffer from this that just don't read well on Twitter, but are no less difficult. Like you said, like like mental health struggles and even on stuff that's small, you know what? I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll say something personal as we, as we move towards wrap up, I'll, 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 I'll share a little personal thing here. All right. So I had a lot of, like, I have, I struggle with my weight. I've struggled with my weight all my life. I lost a hundred pounds when I was in college. I was like obese all my life. Whoa. Um, and it's still been like a, it's been a constant struggle. Um, and, uh, quarantine last year was really bad for me mentally. And I, uh, hooked up with like a personal trainer and got myself like in really good shape, like at home and stuff. And then I got hurt and I was sort of sidelined for it. And I finally am kind of digging myself out of that hole and finally started going to the gym again. And if 
you know, they, they instate, reinstate mask mandates, which make working out hard or even like close the gyms for a while or whatever. That's going to be a huge mental hurdle for me. And I'm not, there are way, there are millions of people in this country who are way worse off than me and have their problems are, are far more crippling. But that doesn't mean that even sort of lower key problems are not problems where you're going to get, where I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to fall into the same kind of rut that I was in last year, which was bad for me. It was bad for, you know, the people around me. It's just, it's not good, especially again, especially when it's being done in kind of contrast to what you're actually seeing. It's really, really frustrating where you see a tweet saying we need mask mandates followed by a tweet with numbers that just don't reflect that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just in all the, just the effects of every single one of these these government mandates, man. It's just going down the line. I mean, like you're 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 lucky that you're a young man and stuff, so you probably don't have even if you know you weren't vaccinated or whatever, you'd, you'd probably be fine um, with with COVID. But it's like you know these shutting down the gyms and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's something like eighty percent of people that have died of COVID are, are obese. And right, and like, you shut down the gym. That's you shut down the the first thing you did was shut down a, the gyms, and it's like if you shut down the point. gyms, you know, tens of millions of Americans gain weight because they can't work out that affects their mental health it affects their physical health maybe they get covid and they're not exercising maybe they're 65 and they just gained 40 pounds and they got covid and they and it's like right it's compounding th- and it's like every single one of these these government actions has a ripple effect just with catastrophic and again and the problem is arguments like this don't read well on twitter because you say this right. and somebody says oh boohoo people are dying from a pandemic and you're like i understand that and I'm not like, but the thing I'm advocating for is not that that's the, the pro, that's the problem. The problem is that when you say some things are going too far and have a bad unintended consequences, the expectation from the, the, your opponents is that you mean nothing should be happening at all. Right. And I like, again, a lot people like I'm my entire argument on Twitter is that like that. The vaccinated people are fine, and yet everybody who's mad at me acts like I'm an anti-vaxxer, anti-masker. When I'm, I'm in fact, I'm saying like, do the thing that's really effective. Like that's take the safety measures that are shown to be effective and that have shown to help, and ones that not really or that are that are not really uh, targeting people that they should like what it's so, I mean, I, again, I'm like, I run out of stuff to say about this cause we're talking in circles. It's like, it's just so frustrating. And I like, I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. I mean like, well, I, well personally you, you and I diverge here a little bit. I, I don't think the government has the right to do anything about any of this ever. Um, but, uh, I mean, but now, now that the vaccines have been widely avail- available in every County in the country since what early April, late March, something like that. There's no what I mean, anybody who wants the vaccine can get it. Yeah, I mean, it's anybody can go to the drugstore at the end of the street and get vaccinated whenever they want. Like, how does the government, even if you're not a libertarian, even if you believe the government has the right to do all this stuff, like what right do they have now when anybody can get vaccinated whenever they want? Like, what right right do they think they have to to keep perpetuating this? And it's going to be most obeyed in the places that are least at risk because they were the places that you know, like that, uh, that conform to the stuff that happened before it got vaccinated at high rates and whatever. And, and so, yeah. uh, uh, So again, ultimately goes back to my point about how 
a lot of this seems to be in order to protect unvaccinated people in blue areas. You, you understand? Like, yeah, because because like you said, a lot of Republican governors and DeSantis is not going to go along with this. And I doubt Greg Abbott's going to go along with this. And so what you're what's going to happen is like we're in D.C., which is, I don't know, 55 or 56 percent fully vaccinated is going to go into mask lockdown or whatever for its own population that is unvaccinated, which is not red state, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a bizarre. I mean. The argument breaks down pretty quick. If you if you put like a minimal amount of thought into it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But no, dude, this was a lot of fun, man. You got to come back on soon. We got to yeah, do absolutely, this again. absolutely. I, this was this was really great. It was uh, it was really a, a just a, a good flow of conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you balance my uh, crazy libertarian stuff out, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure the audience appreciates that too. So you know, where, I, can, I, where can everybody follow you online and read your stuff and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm neon taster on on pretty much you know most platforms that you would be interested in uh, on Twitter obviously at neon taster my YouTube channel which has you know some content on it I keep trying to put more stuff on it it's mostly like video game related but also not youtube.com slash c slash neon taster and uh, twitch twitch.tv slash neon taster where I stream video games and sometimes other stuff like I stream some political debates uh, and and things like that um, and uh, yeah hopefully like going to expand and do more of every time I, I start doing more of it, like life hits me in the face and like I got to like pull back for a little, <laughs> no, I mean just even on a more micro level, like all of a sudden I got two weeks at work where I can't get it done. And, and so then that kind of sets it back. You know, there's always stuff that's happening. I don't understand. I mean the, the professional streamers who stream eight hours a day cause that's their job. I like, I, unfortunately I got stuff that keeps like getting in the way of that. <laughs> well, everybody go bother Noam until he uh, gives more content for you guys. And everybody, make sure you follow him. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.